The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit today. And uh, coming up on the program today, I want to talk a little bit about coronavirus. Obviously, this is something we're all dealing with and will continue to deal with, according to Governor Whitmer, for at least a little while longer. We should be getting details on how much longer this stay-at-home order is going to be in place here in the state, what things may be loosened, what things may change. Uh, It's all up in the air as we speak. But we did lose another 113 people yesterday. One of them was somebody I knew. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about him and also talking a little bit about what is going on right now and how we're coping. So stay with me for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Univox Business Phones. Keep your business running from anywhere. We're here to help with custom promotions and solutions tailored to your needs. That's Univox Business Phones. Hey, Craig here. Thanks for joining me for the show today. I really do appreciate it. You know, the numbers are are really quite staggering when you start to take a look at it. uh, We've got almost 50,000 deaths nationwide now from coronavirus and and many, many more around the world. And the story just keeps unfolding in ways that we knew were possible. Uh, And hopefully, hopefully some of the actions that we have taken are making that number not anywhere near where it could be without some of the precautions that are taking place. And one of the things that I have really appreciated that Deadline Detroit has been doing throughout this is trying to tell the stories of just ordinary Detroiters, uh, people who have fallen victim to this coronavirus and are no longer with us, and telling some stories that normally wouldn't make the paper other than in a standard obituary that you might see. And all of their stories are reflective of somebody uh, that somebody cared about, that someone is missing, that someone is struggling with the loss of. And in many instances right now, they're not even able to see their loved ones as they get sicker and die because of these restrictions that we're under. Funerals aren't taking place, not in the traditional sense. We're starting to see video funerals and live streams of funeral services that only a few people can attend if they're sitting far enough apart and wearing masks. Hardly the dignified ceremonies that many of us have come to expect or would like for ourselves or for our loved ones. And that's difficult to watch. But yesterday, uh, last night, I I found out from some of my old friends at WDET uh, that Tom Wilson passed away. Now, he was not necessarily famous by any stretch, but I knew him. Now, this is a person I'd only met in person a couple of times. Yet he was somebody who called into my program at WDET every single day. And after I left WDET, he's been calling into Detroit Today, Stephen Henderson's program, almost every single day with something to say about whatever the subject matter of the day is. You knew him as Tom from Northwest Detroit. Tom was a retired DPS teacher and just an all-around good guy. 
he was very active in his neighborhood, active in his community, involved in politics, involved in making his neighborhood a better place. And he was also very informed and very intelligent, very soft-spoken, with a great set of pipes. Man, did he have a good voice. I always thought that uh, this is a guy that could have had his own radio show if he'd wanted to. But he was a nice, gentle man. Thoughtful, caring, committed. The kind of person that made you happy was in your community. The kind of person that you wanted to get to know. And I was so thrilled as I was getting ready to exit WDET several years ago, that my producers, in their infinite wisdom, uh, decided to bring together some of my regular callers for an in-studio appearance. So I got to meet a lot of them face-to-face, people that I talked to almost every single day on the air for years. And while we never met face-to-face, I knew these people. I knew what motivated them. I knew what things they were excited about. And one of my favorite things about Tom was that even though you know, he'd be listening and maybe he wasn't even that engaged in whatever the subject of the day was. If I was struggling or if he knew that maybe, you know, we needed to get some, the calls moving, he would call in, he would dial in. And as soon as I said, well, it's time to open it up to the phones, I wouldn't even have to give the number. He'd be there waiting and ready to go with some sort of insightful comment or some way to get the conversation going in a new direction. And that was very, very cool and incredibly helpful to me, knowing that there were that many people that were committed to our community and the discussions we were having, that they were there ready to do their part. He used to actually call the program from the closet in his classroom while he was waiting for his students to arrive. He'd had a few minutes before they were getting ready to come into the classroom, and he would get in his comments before he would start teaching for the day. And then when he retired, he had a little bit more time and was able to interact and do all these sorts of things. But it was amazing last night. You know, I saw some uh, messages on social media that some of my former coworkers put out about Tom, and so many people were responding to those, saying, oh, God, I remember Tom calling in every day. And I know that Stephen Henderson, and I haven't talked to him about this yet, but I know he is uh, struggling with this the way that I am. When you have somebody who's such a regular feature in your daily life uh, is taken from you, it sort of puts this all into perspective. Now, I've lost several people already uh, to coronavirus that I have known, especially in the city of Detroit. It's, it's being unusually hard hit, um, and it's been difficult to see this happen to people of, of all ages and stripes and what is going on and knowing that there are people out there that are hurting right now. And I think to myself how fortunate I am that nobody in my immediate family or any of my uh, near and dear friends have fallen victim to this at this point in time. But it puts those numbers that we're looking at into perspective. And it puts the conversation that we're having about what to do next into perspective. Because every one of those numbers represents a person, a family that's been impacted by this. And knowing that these numbers could be a lot worse if we weren't doing as good a job as we are at this point in social distancing and flattening that curve and hoping to stop this spread. Now, I realize Everybody's anxious for this to change, to get back to normal in some capacity, to, re, to continue living our lives the way that we're used to. But it's important that we remember that every one of these is a tragedy for somebody. Every one of these numbers, every one of these statistics represents somebody who's either struggling with the illness or has succumbed to it. They've got worried family, worried friends, mourning family, mourning friends. 
So while we debate the next steps and what we should be doing, we need to consider that human toll and the pain that so many people that we know are going through right now. Because I understand that this is frustrating and I understand that everybody is anxious and everybody is concerned and their livelihoods are at stake. But it's easy to think about ourselves and to think about our personal situation. It is much harder to think about those that are dealing with this in a completely different way, in a completely tragic way. All of us, all of us that are sitting here right now and able to talk and able to do our Zoom conversations and talk to family and and look at somebody who's doing okay and somebody who is not sick and somebody who is just, you know, doing their best to, to help out in the situation, we're fortunate. And it's difficult. I realize it's difficult. But we have to stay the course on this one. We have to do the right thing. Now, I look at the discussions that are happening in places like Georgia where they're getting ready to reopen the, uh, the economy in some ways to things like hairdressers and, and uh, tattoo parlors, and nail salons, and all these other services that people are clamoring for and want. I mean, heck, if you look at a picture of me right now, I'm not looking my best. My hair's all over the place. I haven't shaved in a few days. I don't look good right now, but I can live with it. And frankly, you know, we're going to have to for a little while longer. What's not helping the situation is that we're getting conflicting information about what is the right path to take. Should we reopen the economy? Should we not reopen the economy? One day it's, uh, yes, we've got to liberate these states. The next day it's, no, it's too soon. Meanwhile, the governors are on their own to make these decisions, facing increasing pressure from their constituents, maybe dealing with some uber-partisan people that are pushing them in one direction or the other, and it's not making for healthy, smart choices at this point in time. We have a president who is directly contradicting the medical experts he has on stage with him on any given day in these press conferences that are taking place at the White House. We have a reshuffling of the deck at places like the CDC and and, and, uh, people who are working on vaccines. And these are political changes that are taking place that aren't necessarily based on whether or not the work that they're doing is important, but rather whether or not their position supports what this position is at the top. We are not approaching this in a good way. We are not allowing the people with the most direct knowledge to lead the path forward. I understand that economic considerations are important. They certainly are. But at the same time, are we willing to risk larger numbers of the population in an effort to keep the economy rolling? And for those of you who say yes, well, Maybe it's not your family member or your friend that has fallen victim to this. And people who say, well, people die every year from the flu or people die every year from car crashes. We've been hearing these kinds of arguments. It's easy to say that when it is not someone that you know or care about. I've been saying this since the beginning. I don't think it's worth human lives just in an effort to keep things going the way that they were. We're not going to come out of this the same regardless of whether we lift the restrictions now or we lift them a month from now or two months from now or six months from now. We don't know what is going to happen here. And I applaud the people who are working around the clock to come up with treatments and vaccines and working on drug studies and all sorts of things. I applaud all of those efforts and they need to continue without interference, without overtly political direction. These are people that need to keep doing what they do. 
because everybody wants to see us beat this thing in some capacity. But what we're starting to realize is that there is no miracle cure. There is no shortcut to getting around this. These numbers could be a lot higher if we haven't been doing what we've been doing. And something else I've noticed about this too. Every time I hear somebody talking about somebody who passed away, somebody they knew who passed away, one of the first questions that I always hear asked, and I've even asked this myself before, and I've caught myself doing this, well, was there an underlying condition that this person was suffering from? As if that somehow justifies the fact that they have fallen victim to this. Maybe it makes us feel a little bit better about our own chances if we indeed are to come in contact with this virus. That if we don't have an underlying condition, maybe we'll be okay. And that if that person did, maybe it's just not as scary. But think about this for just a second. Those underlying conditions were being managed in most of these cases. Whether somebody's got asthma or they're obese or they have diabetes or they've got kidney problems and they're on dialysis, these are all things that can be treated. Now, it doesn't mean they're always successfully treated. It doesn't mean that their life expectancy is going to be the same as somebody without these underlying conditions. But for the most part, a lot of these people had conditions that were being managed until this virus just overcame their system. And in many instances, from what we can tell, it appears that this, this virus somehow turns our bodies against itself at some, in some instances. We just don't know. But just because somebody had an underlying condition doesn't take the sting away from that family. Doesn't take the pain away. Maybe it alleviates our fears about our own chances. And that's why that question comes up as often as it does. Was there an underlying condition? It's heartbreaking to see what's going on. But what's also heartbreaking to me is what I see happening to our discourse around this issue, the coarsening of that discourse. And I've been saying this for a long time. We all have. It's obvious to anybody that's paying attention that we don't get along very well right now. But just as I was angry with those people out at the protests the other day who were not wearing masks, not being socially distant, suggesting that somehow their right to a job was more important than protecting the public health. I didn't like that argument. At the same time, there was a person in Ohio who passed away just a couple of days ago. The family planned to do a video funeral. Now, this is a person who had posted on social media that he was skeptical that coronavirus was real. He thought it was a government hoax. He was definitely one of those people that probably would have been protesting in Lansing. Same sort of mindset, but this person fell victim to the coronavirus. People were actually trolling that family, saying, well, this guy was stupid, this serves him right. That is not the type of behavior that is acceptable in any way, shape, or form. That is just as vile and disgusting as somebody saying, that, you know, seniors need to just die and let the economy move forward so we can preserve our American way of life for future generations, which is what we heard out of the Texas lieutenant governor, not once, but twice. Or the governor of Georgia making a decision to reopen the economy against the wishes of the medical experts, potentially putting people in jeopardy. Or the mayor of Las Vegas suggesting that she offered up her community as a test subject to see whether or not reopening the economy has the potential to get more people the coronavirus. I understand the pressure people are under. Politicians are under. They're getting it from all sides right now, whether it's the president, whether it's the governor, whether it's the mayor. They're all getting it from all sides right now. 
We're doing the best we can. We're trying a lot of different things. But the one thing that we know has the potential to defeat this virus is to be safe. Stay home when you can. Flatten this curve. Let it run its course. And there's people out there that talk about, well, no, we just need to let it out in the wild and and, uh, thin the herd, so to speak, this herd immunity mentality. But I just want them to think about this when they're talking about whether or not it's okay to sacrifice a certain percentage of the population for the economy. What if it was your family? What if it was your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your cousins, your uncles, your best friend? When you start putting faces to the numbers, when you start putting stories to the numbers, we start to once again put humanity back in the picture. I think it's incredibly important we don't forget that. And I find myself forgetting it at times. It's so easy to get lost in these numbers and so lost in the politics of the moment and the anger of the moment that we take our, our gaze away from the actual victims of this and the people that aren't with us anymore or those that are struggling. Or we forget about the struggles of the people who are actually working their butts off to treat these people and using anything they can find in an attempt to see whether or not they can cure some of these folks who are dealing with this right now. But we can't even have an honest discussion about what types of medicines we should be using. What types of things are working? What doesn't work? What do we know? We'll get competing studies on different things and argue about that. I don't want to suggest we're handling this poorly. I don't think we are. I actually think we're doing really, really well given how how disparate our views are in this country and and our lifestyles are in this country. But the one thing we need to remember is that there's nobody out there that is going to emerge from this unscathed in one way or another, whether it is loss of income, whether it is a loss of job security or insurance or a loved one or a way of life. All of these things are going to be impacted by this. And hopefully... Hopefully, we all have time to figure this out when this is over. I understand your frustration. I understand your lack of faith in our elected officials. I understand your lack of faith that anybody knows what they're doing when it comes to this. Or whether or not instinct trumps science. Or the economy trumps public health. These are all huge moral arguments we are having right now. And they bring out the worst in us, unfortunately. That's why Tom from Northwest Detroit was such a good guy. Because even when we disagreed, he was polite. He had informed opinions, and he stated them plainly and waited for a response. Never raised his voice. And was always willing to listen and think about things in a different way. I need to do better at that. I think we all do. Yes, it's okay to ask more from our leaders. It absolutely is okay to expect more and point out when we think that they are falling short. But we need to do it honestly. And we need to look at it from, okay, what's real and what's not real. We need to separate fact from fiction. We need to actually do the research before we go off on a rant. That's never been our strong suit, America. It just hasn't been. But hopefully, hopefully, as we look back on this, we'll get better. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget, we've got the week that was every Friday. We'll be broadcasting live on Facebook at 1130 on Fridays. 
Um, and for the time being, we will be in our separate locations, but we've figured out a way around that. So look for that live broadcast at 1130 on Friday. That should be good. Looking forward to it. Nancy Derringer, Alan Lengel, and I will be here to talk about the news of the week. And, of course, we will get into the politics of the week as well, which we need to do. But today, I just thought it was important to talk about somebody I knew. And if you've got somebody that you knew or you have a family member that you've lost and you think their story needs to be told, send it to us at Deadline Detroit. We would love to hear their story and get it out there because everybody, everybody deserves to be more than a number. Enjoy the day. Stay safe. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in the city. We're asking you to support independent local journalism by joining our $3 a month membership. By joining, you become eligible to win prizes, including tickets for sporting events and gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Just go to our website and click the ad at the top or go to www.deadlinedetroit.com membership.